Hey, welcome back to the FDIC podcast, a place where we talk about how our banks connect to our own lives. I'm Brian Sullivan at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And today we're going to be talking about 2020, a year most of us would gladly say good riddance to. The global pandemic and its horrible health and economic consequences turned our lives upside down. But how did our banks fare and how did our banking system hold up? The FDIC just came out with its latest quarterly report card on the health of our nation's banks. And this quarter, the folks in the FDIC research division took a deep look on the entire year of 2020. Joining us to pour over the numbers and tell us what they mean is Pat Mitchell and Meg Hanrahan, two senior financial analysts who, along with a staff of others, produced the FDIC's quarterly banking profile. Meg and Pat, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Pat, let's start with you. 2020, pretty bad for all the obvious reasons. Was it bad for our banks? You know, Brian, I'll tell you, 2020 was an extremely challenging year for everyone, including the banks. Um, however, given how dire things seemed early on in the beginning of the year, the start of the pandemic, banks have really proven quite resilient and performed you know, quite well. Let me focus on net income as uh, for the banking industry. It's a key barometer uh, for how banks fared in 2020. Overall, for the full year 2020, income declined almost 36.5% compared to 2019. The primary driver of that was provisions. And provisions are amounts that banks have to set aside for losses from loans, that, that is, loans that are unable to ultimately pay. So think of that as creating a rainy day fund for things that might go bad in the future. And even there for 2020, I, I tell you, it's been a tale of two halves of the year. In the first half of the year, the pandemic took hold, governments issued shutdown orders, and we saw the most dramatic declines in GDP and increases in unemployment that have been seen since the Great Depression. So pretty dramatic and pretty, frankly, a um, little dire feeling. Right. So banks naturally thought things could get worse. We're going to provision. Absolutely. So as a result, banks reacted and they increased provisioning quickly in the first and second quarters to prepare for, you know, some of the worst potential outcomes. They had to prepare for the worst, set up the rainy day fund. However, as things, things have gone on, as a result of many factors, including fiscal and monetary policy, which, which I think um, your listener is probably very well aware of, the economy has rebounded stronger than probably almost anybody expected. It's really been very remarkable. Um, you combine that with the quick deployment of a vaccine and also the ongoing rollout of that vaccine, and the economic outlook looks much brighter than anybody ever thought it would. As a result, banks have pulled back, and they've had to set aside less in their rainy day funds. In fact, it's the lowest level uh, since 1995 for provision, so it's quite remarkable. So net income has rebounded, and it's been very strong in the last two quarters, so it really is Net income was low in the first two quarters and it regained strength in the last Still two Still lower than it was in 2019, but certainly a lot higher than it was earlier in the year. Well, well even there, that's the interesting thing. For the last two quarters, they've, they've actually approached the pre-pandemic levels of okay. total net income. And in fact, um, even in fourth quarter, it actually exceeded the 2019 level of income. Um, so, you know, it, it actually really has been quite strong. Well, so now that banks aren't provisioning or saving for that rainy day as much as they did in the first half of 2020, does this suggest banks are, are more optimistic as the year went on? 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, definitely fair. The the loan performance really has been better than anticipated. So when you think of the non-current loans, and let's think again of non-current loans, those are loans that have fallen behind in their payments. Maybe you haven't paid, you were supposed to pay, and you haven't paid. Um, so those have increased since the pandemic, but very modestly, much much lower levels than anybody anticipated. So as a comparison, uh, the non-current loan rate, and that is the non-current loans as a percentage of total loans, was at 1.18% at the end of fourth quarter 2020. But let's compare that relative to previous stress times. So if you look in 2009, it was well above 5%. So this is, while it's been increasing, it's been very modest and it's still a relatively low level. And overall, loans have performed remarkably well, um, both consumer loans, real estate loans, and corporate loans. And all of this really supports the, um, the bank's optimism. I mean, there is reason to be optimistic. Of course, there are areas of stress and areas that you know, have remained focused both uh, the FDIC and the banks. And so think of those as like travel-related um, and retail loans are some obvious ones. And so we remain cautious on those sectors. So there are still, you know, there's still some uncertainty, some, you know, some pockets uh, that we remain concerned about. But overall, um, yes, you know, banks are much more optimistic. Well, Meg, all of what Pat just said strikes me as, as fairly positive in the, in the scheme of things. Certainly, the amount of provisioning earlier in the year suggests banks thought things could be worse than they ended up being. We hear a lot about something called net interest margins being at historic lows. Tell us what that means and why we should care. Well, Brian, the net interest margin actually measures the difference between what the bank earns on their loans and securities and what they pay out on deposits. The margin tells us what basically is left over to pay for the other expenses, salaries, rent, computer equipment, and even provisioning, like Pat had just discussed. Interest rates are very low right now, and many loans are being refinanced at lower rates. Great for the consumer, not so great for the banks. So banks are making less money on their loans. And while the banks are able to reduce their deposit costs, so the rate you're earning on your deposits are probably very low right now, and banks are able to reduce that, loan interest rates are actually falling more rapidly. So banks are seeing that the money available to pay all their other expenses is decreasing. And as um, you mentioned, net interest margin is at the lowest level that it has ever been in the history of the quarterly banking profile. So of a concern when it's at the lowest level we've ever seen. Two key factors are actually affecting the net interest margin. One is the low interest rate environment that we're in. The Fed has reduced rates. They've stated that they do not intend on raising rates for the near future. The other is um, the change in the mix of what banks have on their balance sheet. So typically they have a lot of loans on their balance sheet, but now they have more of a mix of cash, securities, and loans. So that's also hurting their net interest margin. So, you know, our concern is, is it going to continue to shrink, and will banks be able to cover their expenses? So we'll be continue to be monitoring that. Well, if this net interest margin is at historic lows and staying there, are banks still lending? Uh, well, banks were very active in helping small businesses through the Paycheck Protection Program earlier in 2020. But other than government-sponsored programs, banks are not making many loans. Banks actually saw the amount of loans that they have on their books drop this quarter. Hmm. This decline is partly due to tightening underwriting standards, so maybe requiring a little bit more information or a little bit more from borrowers, which typically happens during a recession. So that's not surprising, but it's also partly due to a lack of demand. 
People are paying their current loans. As Pat mentioned, we really haven't seen a huge increase in non-current loans. So people are paying their loans, but they don't want to take on more debt. Right. Well, so people are saving more, borrowing less. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. Yeah. And I say that teasingly, but but in all honesty, it, it is actually a good thing and a bad thing. Consumers are saving more than before the pandemic. They're paying down their debt and not borrowing. That's a good thing for bank. You know, many consumers are uncertain about their job, income, hmm. that they're being prudent and saving. So that's good for banks. As, as Pat mentioned, we, we've not seen loans become delinquent and we've seen deposits grow. But the bad part is for the overall economy. When we save, we're not spending our money. So those funds are not flowing through the economy. Consumers are not ordering the pizza, so the restaurant owner is not buying from their supplier, and the supplier isn't buying from the materials to make those supplies, so it just goes on and on. But so that's why, you know, teasingly, but in truth, it's good and bad. Yeah, I can't tell you the last time I went to a movie. Yeah. Right. Well, Pat, early on in this pandemic, uh, consumers and businesses alike put their money into the banks. That sounds like we have confidence in our banking system, right? Uh, Help us to understand what's behind this historic growth in bank deposits and whether that gives you any cause for concern. Yeah, Brian, so deposits have grown at a record rate. Um, and, and again, similar similar to what Meg was talking about, this is generally a good story for banks. Deposits are a cheap way and the primary way that most banks actually fund their loans. So they actually take deposits and they convert them into loans. Um, so again, that is that is net good. Um, the increase has been in the, it's really been in deposits, been an outcome of a few things. Um, so first, we've had monetary and fiscal policy up to cold, and a lot of these funds, so you've had increased money, found their way into banking accounts. For example, think of the stimulus checks. So the stimulus checks that were provided to individuals, those found their way into bank accounts and increased the amount of deposits um, in the banking system. And, and in fact, the other part of this that, that's taken place, and Meg mentioned this, is really the, the decline in spending. So we've had record savings rates. They've been Consumers have been saving at, at or near record savings rates. You know, con- consumers aren't traveling. They aren't eating at the pizza place. They aren't sp- spending money at the movie theater, as you mentioned. All of these things contribute. So that results in savings and results in increased deposits. Um, so, so with this... All this led to, led to record deposit growth, and that is good for the banks. Um, as previously discussed, banks will ultimately need to take those deposits, and they will have to eventually lend them to increase the amount that they that they earn. But you know, all in all, these are these are all good things for the banking system and for and for depositors. But as Meg said, they're tightening their lending standards. You know, for obvious reasons, the demand for new loans is low, so the money just stays in the bank. Yeah, that's transitory is the way I would consider that. As we come out of the recession and we're starting to see parts of that, banks will end up having more confidence and borrowers will end up having more confidence. So then those deposits will get converted ultimately to loans. Meg, can you say anything about banks that are heavily invested in certain vulnerable sectors? Commercial real estate comes to mind. Yeah, as Pat mentioned, that is one of the areas that we have a little bit more concern about. Basically, what we're concerned about is like, you know, a lot of companies have employees working from home. So will they need that office space that they had before? Maybe not. We also know a lot of people aren't traveling anymore. Hotels, other travel industries are having a hard time. If we're not staying in hotels, the owner of that hotel may not be able to meet their mortgage payment. So these are areas that we're concerned 
as to, you know, are they going to get better? Both of these situations make it hard for the, like I said, for the property owners to make their pay their mortgages. So we haven't quite seen a huge rise in loan payment problems yet, though commercial real estate is the one portfolio where we have seen a rise in more and more borrowers not being able to make their mortgage payments. However, it's still at very low levels compared to, let's say, when we had the Great Recession back in 2008, 2009. The level was much higher than it is today. So nothing that were you know, too dramatic, but it's something that we're going to continue to watch, particularly now that we have the vaccine, the vaccine rollout seems to be getting better, um, that maybe these, you know, by the second half of 2021, we may not be as concerned as we are today. So can we all agree that 2020 was a year we'd rather forget? Uh, Pat, Meg, uh, let me get your final observations about your look back on last year. Seems our banks, our banking system proved to be pretty resilient, right, Pat? It's been a remarkable year on every level, and and the same is held true for the banking system. Um, But overall, as you know, banks and our economy have proven incredibly resilient. So as I reflect and I look back, and if you'd have told me in April that we'd be in the position we are today, I would have been highly skeptical that, that we'd be in as good a position today as we are, both in the banking system and the, and the economy, um, and I would have been quite pleased. So right. I would have been skeptical. You would very have pleased. taken that. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And you know, having noted that, I, I don't want to dismiss. There are certainly significant, tremendous challenges out there for individuals. I mean, individuals, it's still a very difficult time. Um, it's still challenges. We've talked about the banking challenges here. And, and you know, I would note we're not out of the woods yet. So there's still a lot of uncertainty. But yes, things have proven um, quite, banks have proven quite resilient. And it really has been a um, remarkable story. And yes, I agree. I don't, I would care to forget it still. Right, right. Meg, do you sleep well at night or what keeps you up? I do sleep well at night, partly because as Pat mentioned, we really have rebounded. Again, if this had been March or April last year, or even May, I would I would have said something completely different and said, no, I don't sleep at night. But now we've seen banks have been resilient. And I think also that banks have shown that they're a safe place. As we mentioned, deposits have grown tremendously. Consumers realize that banks are a safe place to put their money while we're going through this crazy environment. And um, while there's still certainly some headwinds, some concerns about interest uh, income and, and their net interest margin, and also some concerns about certain loan portfolios, Again, there's a lot of hope now that we're seeing the vaccine roll out, now that we're seeing, you know, improvements in the economy. Bankers are feeling confident in the economy. So I'm feeling a lot better. Still, you know, I'm, I'm a bank examiner at heart, so still have a little bit of concerns, but definitely feel banks have been really resilient throughout this pandemic. Well, Meg Hanrahan, Pat Mitchell, thank you both for joining us and walking back through 2020. Been again, something we'd really rather resign to the history books, but I do appreciate you both joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Brian.